Good evening. Japan's prime minister assassinated an executive order on abortion. Russia and America fight over the space station and 75 years since Roswell. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Friday, July 8th, 2022. Former prime minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated today on a street in western Japan by a gunman who opened fire on him from behind as he delivered a campaign speech, an attack that stunned the nation with some of the strictest gun control laws anywhere. Police at the shooting scene arrested Tetsuya Yamagami, 41, a former member of Japan's Navy, on suspicion of murder. He used a gun that looked homemade, confiscating. Police then went on to his home to confiscate similar weapons and his personal computer. He lived in a one-room apartment. Police say Yamagami was responding calmly to questions and had admitted to attacking Abe, telling investigators he'd plotted to kill him because he believed rumors about their former leader's connection to a certain organization that police did not identify. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said his cabinet ministers hastily returned to Tokyo from campaign events elsewhere after the shooting, which he called dastardly and barbaric. Abe was the longest-serving prime minister in Japanese history. There have been few political assassinations in recent Japanese history, one of the memorable ones in 1960 when the leader of the Japan Socialist Party was assassinated with a wakizashi, a traditional short sword by a pro-American ultra-nationalist. And European Union Commission President Ursula von der Leyen spoke yesterday in Strasbourg at the beginning of the Czech presidency of the European Union. Von der Leyen address the potential winter energy crisis, saying we have to be prepared in case of a complete cutoff of Russian gas. But if worst comes to worst, then um, we have to be prepared, and that is the reason why the Commission is now preparing this emergency plan. All member states have national emergency plans. They um, They have to have them. We have updated them together. But we think it is very important to have a European overview and a coordinated approach to a potential complete cutoff of Russian gas. G7 decided to um, agree that we will look into potential mechanisms for an oil price cap. This would go for a global approach that we have an alliance of many countries that would be willing to put a oil price cap on Russian oil. And we have leverage to convince others who do not want to join the alliance to make sure that they don't circumvent uh, this potential oil price cap. And as Ursula von der Leyen, she's European Union Commission president. Uncertainty over the gas flow to Europe from Russia is growing recently after Gazprom slashed its supplies to Germany, citing technical issues stemming from Ukraine-related sanctions. And on Monday, Roscosmos, the Russian state space transportation corporation, space agency, I guess, posted images on its Telegram channel showing three cosmonauts with tricolor flags of the Luhansk People's Republic and the Donetsk People's Republic. The photos were taken recently on board the International Space Station and show smiling cosmonauts Oleg Artemyev, Denis Matveyev and Sergei Korsakov posing with the flags. 
NASA issued a statement blasting the Russians. They said NASA strongly rebukes Russia using the International Space Station for political purposes to support its war against Ukraine. Luhansk and Donetsk are two breakaway states in eastern Ukraine at the focus of the war between Ukraine and Russia. The United Nations doesn't recognize either country. NASA and Roscosmos, as well as other space agencies, have continued cooperating on the ISS, as it's known, since the invasion began. NASA's administrator has defended the partnership on the basis that the station flies above geo political tensions on Earth. Russia has been providing taxi service to the space station for years under agreement with NASA with a new family of U.S. and private space vehicles coming online. There is a cruise swap envisioned where the Russians would fly an American SpaceX Dragon ship and the U.S. astronauts would pilot a Soyuz craft. Boeing is planning a first crew test of its newest rocket, the Starliner, before the end of the year. And we'll be talking more about space and possible visitors from space later in the cast. It's 75 years since the seminal UFO event known as Roswell. And the city of Akron, Ohio, reinstated a 10 p.m. curfew last night after a week of clashes between police and protesters over the killing of Jalen Walker, 25. He was cut down in a hail of nearly 100 bullets. Walker was unarmed. On Wednesday night, seven people were arrested on rioting charges. Two were hospitalized. Police say Akron General Hospital had to be locked down and pepper spray was used against more than 100 people. Cops say were blocking entry to the emergency room. Justice activist Michael Harris was seen in the video with officers holding both of his arms and another Akron police officer punching him repeatedly in the face, well, at least five times on the video. Then he was tackled to the ground. Police said he was resisting arrest. But a justice supporter going by the handle Jolly Good Ginger says after presenting video of the assault, that's not what happened. The guy you just saw getting punched in the face, that was Michael Harris. He was arrested with Jacob Blake Sr. last night. Two cops were holding his arm while a third cop punched him in the face repeatedly. Shortly after that video, Bianca Austin, which is Breonna Taylor's aunt, and Cortez Rice, which is the father of Jamari Rice, were also arrested. Well, this morning, a judge set bail for Cortez, Bianca, and Michael Harris, the guy who was being punched in the face. So Akron Bail Fund went up to the clerk's office to pay those bails. But when they got there, they were told they could only post bail for Cortez and Bianca. They were told they can't post bail for Michael because Michael's being held for being uncooperative. Now, I don't know what the f that sh means, but it sounds illegal as hell to me. The judge set a bail. We should be able to pay that bail, and he should be released. Well, turns out we just got off the phone with Michael Harris, and he said he's being fully cooperative. The fact of the matter is they don't want to let Michael Harris out because they don't want everybody to see what they did to his face. Call this number and demand the immediate release of Michael Harris from Summit County Jail. He has a bail. We have the money to pay the bail. We should be allowed to pay his bail and get him out so he can get to a doctor, which is what he needs. And that was a report from uh, someone who's been following this, and you can follow on Twitter and TikTok by the name of Jolly Good Ginger. Jacob Blake Sr., the father of Jacob Blake, as well as Bianca Austin, an aunt of Breonna Taylor, were arrested on first-degree misdemeanor rioting charges. Jacob Blake, the 29-year-old black father of six, survived being shot in the back seven times by a Kenosha, Wisconsin police officer five months ago. The shooting left him partially paralyzed. Breonna Taylor was gunned down in a hail of bullets by Louisville, Kentucky police officers who were executing a no-knock search warrant in 2020. The cops said they were looking for drugs. None were ever found. 
Harris was eventually bailed out and is now in a hospital. A photo showed him in the jail with a severely bruised lip. Walker, a 25-year-old black man, was unarmed when eight Ohio officers opened fire on him on June 27th, fatally shooting him 60 times. Ninety bullets were fired in total after a traffic shop stop turned into a pursuit. Walker had no record and had never been arrested. And more stories from the nation. Jackson Women Health Organization, which was the state's only abortion clinic before it was forced to close Thursday, is asking the Mississippi Supreme Court to allow it to reopen next week. The request is based on the state Supreme Court's 1998 decision that said the Mississippi Constitution provided women the right to an abortion. The petition filed Thursday with the Supreme Court comes on the heels of Tuesday's ruling in a state court refusing a request for a temporary restraining order allowing the clinic to remain open. The filing before the Supreme Court noted that state judge Deborah Hafford opened the hearing on Tuesday with a prayer by a specially appointed chaplain that read, Lord, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this courtroom today. Outside, the lone Mississippi abortion clinic, pro-choice and anti-abortion protesters traded jeers as the clinic closed for what some of the protesters hoped would be the last time. Defeat and put your foot on their neck. We are the body of Christ and he has brought this enemy. God, I pray you bring them to their knees, God, in repentance. That they would come to repentance and acknowledging of the truth that you are the King of Kings. That they can believe in their heart and their righteousness and make a confession with their And that was some of the uh, news. Another law in Mississippi banning abortions after six weeks also went to effect as results of the overturning of Roe. And in more abortion news from Washington, President Joe Biden signed an executive order today protecting access to abortion and contraception after the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade decision last month. The decision is known as Dobbs. Let's be clear about something from the very start. This was not a decision driven by the Constitution. Let me say it again. This was not a decision driven by the Constitution. And despite what those justices of the majority said, this was not a decision driven by history. You've all probably had a chance to read the decision and the dissent. The majority rattles off laws from the 19th century to support the idea that Roe was historic was a historic anomaly because states outlawed abortion in the 1880s toward the end. But that's just wrong. The truth is today's Supreme Court majority that is playing fast and loose with the facts. Even 150 years ago, the common law and many state laws did not criminalize abortion early in pregnancy, which is very similar to the viability line drawn by Roe. But the Dobbs majority ignores that fact. And the Dobbs majority ignores that many laws are enacted to protect women at the time when they were dying from unsafe abortions. This is the horrific reality that Roe sought to end. The practice of medicine should not, should not be frozen in the 19th century. So what happened? The dissenting opinion says as clear as you can, possibly say it. And here's the quote. Neither law nor facts nor attitudes have provided any new reason to reach a different result than Roe and Casey did. All that's changed is this court, end of quote. All that's changed is this court. That wasn't about the Constitution or the law. 
was about a deep, long-seating antipathy toward Roe and the broader right to privacy. As the justice wrote in their dissent, and I quote, the majority has overruled Roe and Casey for one and only one reason, because it has always despised them, and now it has the votes to discard them, end of quote. So what we're witnessing wasn't a constitutional judgment. It was an exercise in raw political power. And that was the president. The White House says Biden will direct the Health and Human Services Department to take action to protect and expand access to medication abortion approved by the Food and Drug Administration and ensure access to emergency medical care, family planning services and contraception. A member of the president's Gender Policy Council, Jen Klein, laid out more details about the president's order. It safeguards access to reproductive health services, building on steps HHS has already taken to ensure that medication abortion and contraception, including emergency contraception and long-acting contraception, are as widely available as possible, as well as the Attorney General's commitment to fight any attack by a state or local official who attempts to interfere with women exercising their constitutional right to travel out of state for medical care. It also protects the privacy of patients and their access to accurate information, building on steps that HHS, uh, Office of Civil Rights, has already begun to take to ensure that doctors and medical providers and plans know that with limited exceptions, they're not required, and in many cases, they're not even permitted to disclose patients' private information. It also promotes the safety and security of patients, providers, and clinics, the physical safety and security, and finally, it coordinates the implementation of federal efforts to protect reproductive rights and access to health care. We are very focused on protecting that right to travel. The Attorney General issued an extremely strong statement again on the day of the decision and has continued to be vigilant so that no woman, no person who is seeking a medical service in a state where it is legal is prevented from doing that. You can't solve by executive action what the Supreme Court has done. The Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right that was precedent for nearly 50 years. We all need to be mindful. He is very mindful. We are all very mindful that that can't be solved by executive action alone. And as Jen Klein, she's of the Gender Policy Council in the White House, one of the issues being addressed is the use of search engines and cash files by the police who can subpoena that information as part of a court case. Cooper Clinton is with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Welcome live, joining us live from the West Coast, Cooper Clinton. Thank you for joining us here on WBAI. You've heard it and you've heard the debate. How is it that a person could find their uh, cell phone or Internet searches used to prosecute them for breaking a law? How, how is that possible? Yeah. So if you talk to people on the front lines of the abortion fight right now, what they'll tell you is that the way that people are being prosecuted is first and foremost still through informants, friends, family, spouses, and medical professionals who disagree with their decision, deciding to notify law enforcement. Uh, and then we see secondary evidence come into play, and this is things like social media posts or messages, text messages, emails, and Google search history uh, gotten off the phone or through subpoena to uh, search companies or social media companies. And these are the pieces of information that are being used to build a case to convict somebody. Uh, however, we are concerned that big data, such as period tracking apps, could become a threat in the future. And the reason is that these apps are collecting a ton of data, which in some cases could potentially be used to implicate that a person was pregnant and then stopped being pregnant without actually having a child. And once you give a company this data, it could end up in the hands of data brokers, 
vigilante groups or law enforcement who could then use it to perform dragnet searches of people who have potentially had abortions. Now, many people don't know that their uh, Internet searching activity is potentially kept forever in many different locations, and they don't have full control over what happens to that information. How is that? Yeah, uh, so companies like Google have made a business out of keeping track of people's searches and using those to uh, determine what types of ads to sell to them in a model called behavioral ad tracking. Uh, This is something that EFF has been concerned about for a long time, and we think that this is very illustrative of why this is such a bad idea, because it can be used to prosecute women. Um, So we would like Google and other companies like this to start to strongly limit the data that they keep, uh, start to delete data, and give people easy ways to delete their data as well, or search anonymously so that information can't be tied back to them in the future. Can you trust that your data is deleted, and how would you go about that? It depends state by state. Um, In California, where I am, you can send a data deletion request to a company. Uh, that they have to abide by by California law. Um, I'm not sure on the state of the laws currently in New York uh, in that regard. But, um, yeah, ideally, if we're hoping that companies will commit to allowing users to actually sincerely delete their data. So that's something that's not – there's no federal law that says that. So it could be that in some states you can delete it and others you can't. That's correct. And so for, for – that's correct. There is no federal law. And so for women in states where abortion is currently illegal, we encourage them to use uh, more privacy-preserving search engines such as DuckDuckGo um, or, or other privacy-protective measures. So uh, what is the – let's, let's, let's step back and look at the whole how, – how would people go about uh, making their searches because not everybody wants to delete all their information. It's useful to have these caches, and it's, sometimes it's quite useful to have the Internet help you do find the things you're looking for uh, by allowing it to track you. And that shouldn't be a problem if you don't intend to break the law. And most women seeking an abortion were never intending to break a law since it used to be legal. So uh, 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 how can I go about um, and maybe you talked a little bit about that, but maybe a little bit more in depth of uh, being aware of uh, my digital footprint. Yeah, uh, you, your point is exactly right. It's it's that um, um, the the we hear a lot like if you if you you know if if you have if you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to hide. And the fact is that things that were legal, you know, a month ago are now criminalized, and people who thought they didn't have anything to hide now now have something to hide in many states. Um, and so what we recommend is that if you are seeking an abortion in a state where it's illegal, you should first, uh, your first search should be for how to protect your anonymity online. So, uh, and we have some guides up on our website at ssd.eff.org. We have surveillance self-defense guides. Um, and we, we recommend that people Again, we recommend that people use a privacy-preserving search engine like DuckDuckGo. Um, using something like a VPN can, in some cases, be helpful. Um, it really depends on on what the laws in your state and what you think the specific threats are. Unfortunately, a lot of these tools won't help with the um, specific the specific problems that women are facing right now, which is people that they trust deciding to become informants, um, and that's and that's 
that's a much harder problem to fix. Um, you know, right. that being the case, we recommend if you're in a state where this is illegal now, we recommend uh, really being careful about who you who you trust with with your information, and that's a really unfortunate state to be in. It's funny. I'll just leave it with this. It's funny that uh, marijuana used to be like that, and now you can you smoke it pretty much anywhere in New York, anywhere in California, and abortion yet is the opposite. You have to be careful like it was in the days of hiding your marijuana. Yeah, yeah. And I mean the, the other – It's a flip. Um, the, a know, flip. Oh, go on. Very good. Okay, I'll leave you. Thank you very much for that. Cooper Clinton of the Electronic okay, Frontier you. Foundation. Thanks for joining us on this short notice. Very interesting. And next story. The United States might not be heading to a recession after all. A strong hiring report in June is highlighting the nation's job resilience. Yet the figures the government released Friday also spotlighted the sharp divide between the healthy labor market and the rest of the economy. Inflation has soared to 40-year highs. Home sales are slipping and consumers are gloomy. But that didn't stop President Biden from a victory lap. Now, look, I know times are tough. Prices are too high. Families are facing the cost of the living crunch. But today's economic news confirms the fact that my economic plan is moving this country in a better direction. The unemployment rate is near a historic low of 3.6%. Private sector jobs are at a record high. Gas prices, still way too high, have fallen now 25 days in a row. And this week we saw the second largest single day decrease in gas prices in a decade. We still have a lot of work to do. I'm not suggesting there's a lot more work to do, but I am suggesting we're making significant progress. The program is working. Employers added 372,000 jobs in June, a surprisingly robust gain, and in line with the pace of the previous two months, economists had expected job growth to slow sharply last month, given the broader signs of economic weakness. And the world was worrying about war when rancher W.W. Brazel walked into the sheriff's office in Corona, New Mexico on a hot, dusty day 75 years ago to report a flying disc he might have found on his property about 100 miles northwest of Roswell Army Airfield. The next day, July 8, 1947, the public information officer at the base issued a news release stating the U.S. Army Air Force had recovered a flying saucer at the ranch. While military brass quickly retracted the statement, it was too late. The legend of Roswell as the UFO capital of the world was already soaring, much like the countless bright objects many Americans claim to have seen in the sky that summer. The event that we know today as the Roswell incident gave birth to the modern movement of UFO sightings along with the genre of alien science fiction. Flying saucers seen over Washington, D.C. Rockets were quickly set up. Colonel Tom Edwards in charge of saucer field activities was to make the greatest decision of his career. He made that decision. Colonel Edwards gave the signal to fire. Then as swiftly as they had come, they were gone, even to the piercing eye of radar and the speeding jet fighters. Quite a sight, wasn't it, sir? <laughs> a sight I'd rather not be seeing. Are you worried about them, sir? <laughs> 
Wow. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The fertile ground for Roswell was sown under the darkening mushroom cloud of the nuclear age. World War II had ended less than two years earlier, and the United States and Soviet Union seemed to be on the precipice of another global conflict. Sound familiar? The term Cold War was coined by George Orwell in a 1945 essay and entered the modern consciousness when Bernard Baruch, an advisor to President Harry S. Truman, uttered it in a speech in the spring of 1947. Public was so stirred up that the skeptical Air Force began a well-publicized investigation. They called it Project Blue Book. A report on the findings was made in 1969 by Major General John A. Stamford. There have been a certain percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. It is this group of observations that we now are attempting to resolve. We have, as of date, come to only one firm conclusion with respect to this remaining percentage, and that is that it does not contain any pattern of purpose or of consistency that we can relate with any, to any conceivable threat to the United States. We can say that the recent sightings are in no way connected with any secret development by any department of the United States. A UFO proponent was retired Marine aviator Donald Kehoe. He argued that the U.S. government was in contact with alien beings who were discovered in the wreckage of the Roswell UFO or weather balloon. Major Kehoe, as author of the book Flying Saucers Are Real, what is your opinion of these new sightings of unidentified objects? With all due respect to the Air Force, I believe that some of them will prove to be of interplanetary origin. During a three-year investigation, I found that many pilots have described objects of substance and high speed. One case, pilots reported their plane was buffeted by an object which passed them at 500 miles an hour. Obviously, this was a solid object, and I believe it was from outer space. Donald Kehoe died in 1988. Before World War II, he helped organize tours by America First advocate and famous aviator himself, Charles Lindbergh. And closer to home, city controller Brad Lander said yesterday he asked for guidance and was approved by the Conflicts of Interest Board to review contracts with nonprofits tied to a group run by his wife. On Tuesday, the Daily News reported dozens of nonprofits with city contracts are also members of Meg Barnett's group, Nonprofit New York. Since Lander took office, nonprofits connected to the group have got nearly half a billion dollars in contracts. Lander responded that the Conflict of Interest Board said because Nonprofit New York doesn't lobby on behalf of individual clients, there's no conflict with city law. Nevertheless, the news reported Nonprofit New York does lobby elected officials. According to the city clerk's office, they advocated for a living wage floor in nonprofit contracts with the city. Today, Mayor Eric Adams brushed off the tempest as just another teapot. Controller Lander is, is aware of the, all the ethics rules, and I have to uh, say that I believe that he's going to follow them, and that's the most I can say about it. Uh, we have clear ethics rules, and as a controller, I have to believe he's going, he's going to follow them, and he's has, he has to make the determination other than that. The Conflict of Interest Board has said Lander is okay, provided he isn't personally involved in registering individual contracts himself. And that's from the news for Friday, July 8th, 2022. The news producer, Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo, waiting for the UFO to take me up. 